0: C-I-U-T-F-M would like to thank everybody who made a contribution during our fall fundraising campaign. Your kind financial support keeps this community radio station alive on the FM dial and on the World Wide Web. If you haven't donated yet, we still need your help to reach our goal of $100,000. Donate now at www.ciut.fm and show your appreciation for unique, independent programming that cannot be heard anywhere else
1: get to the 100% mark by the end of December 31st. Go to CIUT.FM and make your contribution today. It's that simple. CIUT.FM. From the backyard
2: hobbyist to the all-out welding and machine shop, Metal Supermarkets has what you need, when you
3: want it, how you want it. All cut to your specifications. No order is too big or too small. Pick up in-store or have it delivered right to your home, shop, or job site. Metal Supermarkets has
2: you covered no matter what the project. With over 8,000 products, Metal Supermarkets is your convenience store for metal. Eight convenient GTA locations to help you get the job done. Call
3: us at 289-562-0264 or find us on the web at
2: Supermarkets.com
4: from the roots up c-i-u-t 89.5 fm oh lord trouble so hard oh lord trouble so hard don't nobody know my trouble for God. Don't nobody know my
3: trouble with God. And welcome to the Radical Reverend Show and your host, Sherry DeNovo. Are you in the mood for a little good news? because that's what we're going to bring you today for the next hour. There's so much in the way of not good news right now, Um, but we're going to hopefully inject a little joy into your steps in the next hour and on that most intractable of problems in this country and this province, and that is housing because we all know that without decent housing, poverty is with one forever. We all certainly in this city of Toronto walk around streets where there are encampments and people sleeping rough in whether that means that they're going to end up in emergency wards. We've seen the bad news. How do we address it? And we've got three folk coming on in the next hour who are going to help look at some of the solutions. And first and foremost, uh, we have Curtis Jordan. Curtis is um, from, he's a trustee from the Upper Canada District School Board. And, uh, Curtis, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Well, thank you very, very much. It's always a pleasure to be on. And um, the reason you're on is you and others, activists in your area, have done the virtually impossible. Mm -hmm. You have now housed everyone who is homeless in the area of Stormont, Dundas, Glengarry. Uh, Talk about that. Like, first of all, how many are we talking about? Because it's not insignificant.
4: Yeah.
0: So we were talking about uh, approximately 100 individuals within um, the United Counties of Stormont, Dundas and Glengarry, um, predominantly concentrated within the city of Cornwall, which is predominantly kind of in the middle of uh, of the region. And uh, it was really a privilege to see the fact that uh, we were able to get local government to really, really step up to the plate and be innovative and house people. This was something that we were starting on this advocacy uh, in the summer, and the fact that this has coming to fruition, uh, frankly, I didn't think this was something that was as winnable as it actually was. So this is just a testament to the fact that good things do happen. I mean, I'm on the Radical reference Show. What I can say, miracles happen, and frankly, uh, this is nothing short of a miracle to see the fact that in this region, we have been able to house everyone who needs it. So help me, God will be able to do that here in Toronto and across this great province.
3: So this and we're talking not shelters we're not we're talking oh, no. not we're talking as permanent housing options for these individuals so let, let's step it back a bit yes. um, and we're talking also about a very conservative area so oh, this isn't, very much this so. isn't partisan at all no um, this is this is working with conservative elected officials so so, so like um. well, how did you start on this like what was the what were the first steps because we need to to mm. teach
0: others how to do this in their areas across Ontario absolutely and first of all not unsurprisingly I'm not a conservative, um, but, uh, you know, I I really, Sherry, honestly, your testament of the way you worked with everyone when you were in politics is something that I've really taken in my role as an elected official uh, since I was elected last year and I've kind of taken it upon myself to do a lot more as an elected official than just, uh, than just you know, attend trustee board meetings. Um, there's a lot of advocacy that I've done in the community well before I was ever elected. And, you know, when I was elected, I said, I'm not going to stop on that advocacy. And, you know, we had some very concerned community members um, in my area who um very, very concerned, again, from all political strides. Including those who are not terribly political, um, who were coming to me saying, "Look, something needs to be done." And in particular, I had um, one woman um, who was a local reporter, as well as another woman who's a very, very staunch activist in our area. And the three of us came together and really collaborated with local government, with local elected officials of all political stripes, with this these council
3: name. people, council people,
0: uh, Locally elected councillors from all from a variety of different townships within the counties, as well as um, the local mayor of Cornwall and um, a lot of local uh, regional officials who are not elected. Um, so we worked with a lot of different stakeholders. Um, And we did a lot of advocacy on this. Obviously, this is not the result of just our hard work alone. We really, really pushed local government to get things done, kind of held their feet to the fire. But... Um, Obviously, there were a lot of other stakeholders doing a lot of great work. And this is something that I think is a result of everyone's collaboration together.
3: Now, by advocacy, what did that look like? You were lobbying them. You had meetings with them. We
0: had a protest. So this is where it all started out. In the summer, we were very proactive. Instead of having a a protest, you know, when the situation uh, is really, really bad and it's winter, we started this advocacy in the summer. So we started with organizing a protest. I was in the middle of the biggest political scandal in my campaign. So I had a lot of local media contacts and, um, I I had a lot of local media that we were able to get out. We were able to get well over 100 people, which frankly in that region, that's bigger than the Pride Parade and the St. Patrick's Day Parade combined, uh, people uh, to um, to this protest to advocate for affordable housing. Um, It was plastered over the media. Some of the most read articles in uh, a lot of publications, histories in that region, were with respect to this protest and this advocacy. People were very riled up. They were very concerned and that was the start of it. Um, Through that, we were able to get a meeting um, within a matter of days with His Worship, the Mayor Um, and we kept them for about three and a half hours talking about solutions, not just complaining about the problems but talking about solutions and it was really, really great to be able to have that open dialogue Um, and I think one of the things that really worked well with respect to this, we had one woman who was a reporter we had me, an elected official, um, who was elected around the same time as the mayor. So, you know, we were able to kind of have this dialogue, and especially me with the experience that I have within affordable housing and, you know, affordable housing management, I was able to really strike a chord with a lot of the um, the local bureaucrats um, working in the housing division um, to help them understand some innovative solutions that I've practiced earlier in my career with respect to allocation of housing um, uh, for individuals who are individuals who are homeless because if you look at the stock the existing housing stock in the province of Ontario most of them are family units like three bedroom two and three bedroom units the majority of homeless individuals in this province again the majority um not all um are individuals who are unattached individuals single individuals who find themselves uh unhoused and so obviously that is the longest the longest list anywhere in this province, uh, and prove me wrong, uh, anyone who has a different opinion, prove me wrong, but the longest waitlist in pretty much every region is for studio and one-bedroom units for individuals who are homeless or individuals who are just on the chrono waitlist. So um, we were working with local government to see how can we get um, individuals who are unhoused prioritized prioritize on waitlists for family-sized units um, where you might have two or three people in a unit as well as looking at other initiatives like um, collaborating with the private sector and operating a retirement facility of some sort or um, in, in, um, an unused hospital-type facility um, to be operated for these individuals. Was that, which, that's actually one of the key solutions that happened. Um, a retirement facility w- um, ended up being operated on lease by the local municipality, and what that has provided semi-permanent housing For um, an overwhelming majority of the individuals who were in the encampment, as well as priority, regionalized priority access to um, uh, existing stock um, was another piece of that puzzle that they worked tirelessly on. And so at this point in time, um, there. so I've found out just today, there are three individuals in the area that still have found themselves homeless. Um, from what I have been told, this is completely, these individuals have refused offers of housing within the shelter, or not shelter system, but within um, the supportive housing um, that has been created for these individuals. And um, so at this point in time, Very, very good news um, that we've been able to house everyone who basically needs it. And so a very unique role for a publicly elected school board trustee to be playing uh, this type of advocacy. Um, But again, this is I, I went into this advocacy as a private concerned citizen, not necessarily in my role as a trustee. But what I implore other elected officials, regardless of the office that you hold, housing is everybody's responsibility. It is everybody's um, it's something that we should all be fighting for even if you're a trustee, MP, MPP whatever, um, it's something we all need to be coming to the table on.
3: If you're just uh, tuning in now, you're listening to the Radical Reverend Show I'm your host Sherry DeNovo. I've got in the studio uh, Curtis uh, Jordan. He's a trustee in the Upper Canada District School Board uh, and also a resident at Stormont in Stormont Dundas Glengarry uh, and uh, an area where they had a home homelessness uh, problem like so many, like most in Ontario, uh, but solved it. Actually found a uh, 100 people Permanent housing. I wanted to ask uh, Curtis about s- the supportive aspect of the permanent housing because um, so often some of the initiatives that have happened in Toronto um, don't have the supports attached to them, so they end up not working out very well. Um, so, I mean, that's people power, right, to, to add that. What, how did you address that issue?
0: Um, so pursuant to that, that's something that uh, I think is probably best left um, to speak directly with officials um, in the local municipality with respect to just because I have not been briefed on the specific details of uh, of the actual level uh, and ratio of support that is being offered from what I have been told it very, very um very broadly is that there is um, support from various social workers and a a significant collaboration between various agencies that have um, familiarized themselves with individual with all of these individuals and so there is that continuum of support um, that is available again in smaller communities it is a little bit different than in Toronto because you know you have individuals um, you know who have already had contact with a lot of these agencies that are collaborating on initiative like this so uh it's very different from in toronto where you know it's it can be a little bit difficult when you have like we have so many thousands of homeless people here in in metro toronto so for that little piece it's a little bit different um because you know people are not necessarily integrated with these uh support agencies already so however um uh, with respect to the continuum of support that's being offered, from what I've been informed, is uh, there's case by case support being offered to each individual, and it's been uh, it's been overall quite a successful venture from the time being so far. And um, many of those individuals in that transitional piece of housing have been uh, permanently permanently housed. So this is really 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 exciting.
3: Um, speaking about uh, some answers to the housing uh, issue here in the next hour on the Radical Reverence Show. Uh, And I just wanted to say that if you're listening to the show and you're hearing some of the options that are being investigated and that are working, because we're focusing on some solutions here, uh, for a change, some good news, um, don't hesitate to contact me. I'm all over, uh, I refuse to call it X, I'm all over Twitter and uh, Facebook, and I'm easy to find. So, um, Sherry DeNovo, C-H-E-R-I-D-I-N-O-V-O, just send me a note and uh, let me know what you're doing out there that's, uh, in fact, addressing this issue because we need to. I mean, Curtis, you talked about being a small community and there being 100 homeless where we have thousands. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I mean… Toronto is is a little bit like New York in the sense that we're a community of small communities, Mm -hmm. too. So, you know, I live in Parkdale. We know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Somebody else lives in the beach. They know what that looks like. So, I mean, um, it, it would be interesting, really, if we started looking at it. I mean, of course, the mobility between these areas is You know, happens, but Mm -hmm. but I mean, even if we just began with our own block, some days in the city, we we might we might get some action that way. Um, I remember when I was in uh, Sweden. This was many years ago, probably ten years ago now. um, And I gather the the shift to the right has happened uh, throughout Europe. So uh, I wouldn't attest to this now. But at that point, they they had uh, and Sweden at that point and still is. So a few million sh- uh, smaller than Ontario, um, so it was you know comparable size jurisdiction. Uh, they built a hundred thousand new units of housing a year. They called it their million house plan for ten years. Built new bills and I and I mean I, and basically they didn't have a poverty or homelessness problem. There was all sorts of other things they did like free tuition, free childcare, farm care, you name it. Um, the Swedish model. Kind of works. Um, but um, but you would still see, like to the, the three individuals you were talking about that didn't want to be housed, they still had one shelter for those passing through that simply, uh, and there was usually mental health and addiction issues involved there as, but I mean, these are, these are, you know, after the housing problems, Um but just one in in all of Stockholm when I was there and and one of the few, they said, in the entire country. Um, So it can be done, right? It can be done.
0: Absolutely, it can be done. And, you know, I think we all need to work together to make sure that is done. And that is really holding your elected officials accountable. This is about organizing. This is about, um, you know, getting in the media. This is about getting things done. And, you know, what I've always said is, you know, the people united will never be defeated. And, uh, you know, in my time with ACORN, I, I was involved with uh, an anti-poverty group in the Ottawa area that has a very large chapter in Toronto um called ACORN Canada. I was involved for years and years and years. Such an amazing organization. And that's where, you know, a lot of the campaigns that they were working on were very much about, you know, holding elected officials to account and working on the solution, not just complaining about the problem, because, uh, frankly, it's very easy to complain about a problem, but it's really, the real greatness is when you can come together on a solution and be part of seeing those real results. Now, the work in uh, Cornwall and the counties is not done. I mean, there absolutely will be more individuals who will find themselves homeless, and there will be a lot of work that local government has to do uh, there to find uh, to find ways to house those individuals, um, however, um, at this point in time is you know it 's a real Christmas miracle to see that in that region um, through a lot of advocacy and a lot of hard work from a lot of great people um, that this situation has been resolved and I think it sets an example of what could be done in other regions in this province, including this city here in Toronto, where this issue has been frankly ignored at every level of government for way too long now, and uh, it'll be nice to see some real results on this. And I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of hope in I I would like to think there's a lot of hope in the air right now because they have there are some amazing officials, including Gord Perks, who's going to be on this program next, who has worked tirelessly on housing issues for how many decades? How many decades has been around an amazing city councilman and uh, when I lived in Toronto he was my city councillor a tireless advocate uh, for this issue uh, as well as her worship the mayor here in Toronto who's again another tireless advocate on this issue and I think you know it's nice to see elected officials um, at the municipal federal and provincial level who are so passionate um, about you know delivering results for individuals who are homeless and unhoused.
3: I mean, of course, we have a provincial government whose answer has been to date. um, The answer to housing is to steal land from the (laughs) Greenbelt or give land away to a giant spa. Uh, I mean, again, um, they're looking to developers. They're looking to the for-profit sector to deliver. Uh, And you've worked with the the for-profit, but it cannot... Always, But I, I, I just, you know, people say, well, there's not enough housing. We need more housing. There's The last I, time I checked, there were 65,000 empty units in Toronto, 65,000 just sitting empty. I mean, mainly and mostly these are seen as investment properties. People are buying condos just to invest in them and uh, leave them empty some of the time. Or, you know, certainly it's not their priority to, to fill them up because they're going up every year. Maybe they flatline a little bit for a while, but the the trend of real estate is always up in the city. So um, real estate as an investment rather than a necessity.
0: Well, I mean, I worked in the private sector for quite some time in, in the property management realm of very, actually, some very lovely uh, purpose-built uh, apartment buildings where, you know, the average rent was over $2,000 a month. And, um, you know, it, very, very different, very, very different from the actual needs. I mean, yes, absolutely, there is a place for development in this role. I mean, right now, this government's giving them a little bit too much of a place, but, uh, you know, there's a place for development. Development in this province, and if, there always has been, and there always will be. Um, and that's not what we're fighting against necessarily. What we really need, though, is that same place. Um, that same focus, uh, if not more focus, being given to the development of the of housing for those who are completely at the bottom, for you know very hardworking individuals who are not earning much. If we can resolve that piece, you know that's uh, the key to. Building our society up to building a better, to building better opportunities for everyone. When you have that place to live and you're not worried about where you're going to be sleeping the next night or the next month, that's when you have that opportunity to really think of, you know, what's next in life. You know, and that's really one of the things that I have always advocated is, you know, we need to make sure that um, there's that place being given for deeply affordable housing. And, you know, these partnerships with big developers, these are not delivering a single unit of deeply affordable housing in this province.
3: Um, speaking about housing here on the Radical Reverend Show, your host, Sherry DeNovo, speaking to Curtis Jordan, who's a trustee in Upper Canada's district school board, um, but also been one of the advocates that's actually solved their homelessness issue in Stormont Dundas-Glengarry. And if you're listening to the show and you're in a smaller community, know that it can be done. Uh, It certainly can be done. And this didn't take too long No,
0: it started in the summer. You know, we were getting riled up in the summer. We had a protest. I think it was in July when we had our protest from City Hall uh, to County Hall to the MPP's office. Like this was really, really, uh, this was, it really didn't take us that, that long. Again, it's not a huge, huge number compared to Toronto. But still, we were able to get this. And frankly, I'll be honest, when we started this, Sherry, I didn't think we would win. And I'm sitting here now with you and we're cheersing with our uh, with our paper cups in the studio here right now. Because, you know, this Christmas, no one in, at least in the region that I live in, is going to have to um, sleep out in the cold if they don't want. And that is, um, that's, that's I think that's as close to a Christmas miracle as I've ever seen in my lifetime.
3: Truly that. Uh, one of the solutions, and I just, um, this is the good news, but, you know, I just can't help but uh, talk about some of the, <laughs> the other side. Um, Poyaliev has been railing about this. I put out a video on housing, which is Kind of something, and and on our Left Left or Leftist panel, we talked about it, uh, and, and we're kind of marveling that more people don't put out videos on housing actually with real solutions, not with pseudo solutions. But one of his solutions is, well, if we just drop taxes um then um then there'll be more housing uh, and i thought this is wild to me i mean first of all people on odsp and ow people on social assistance don't don't most of them don't pay a lot of taxes if any uh, uh they can't afford they, they can't afford to to be in housing it's it's not taxes that keeps them from housing and um if our 123 uh, companies in Canada that uh, should have paid about $30 billion in taxes last year and did not, um, is actually if they did pay more
0: taxes, we'd have probably more housing. Good grief. You know, I hadn't even seen that one yet. You know, I, not unsurprisingly, I, 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 I'm I one of the many people on the political left who who uh, doesn't really follow anything that Mr. Polivier is doing. But wow, that is... I. I I, with all due respect, um th- that's I, shockingly out of touch um, with the honest to God realities that are affecting those uh, middle class people even people in the kind of upper middle class realm uh, who are still struggling to attain home ownership you know lowering of taxes I mean and what type of taxes are we talking about either is one of the carbon other taxes of course is there carbon ta- oh I salt god good <laughs> grief well anyways you know what uh, all, all the best to uh, all the best to him on that strategy I I, I don't know how many people that'll help, um, but but all the best to uh, to Mr. Pallaviere on that. But uh, I, I would love to see others in the political realm, uh, provincial and federal. You know, get on, get out there with some real solutions because there are some brilliant in both of our party, the Liberal Party, and, and as well as us in the NDP and the Greens. There's some really brilliant people in our parties who could have some really great solutions. I'd love to see some of them.
3: We're going to take a little bit of a break right now and come back with uh, one of those who have been fighting for housing for a while now. Uh, City Councillor in Parkdale High Park, Mr. Gord Perks, who's now uh, in partly in charge of the housing file at the City of Toronto under Mayor Olivia Chow. So do stay tuned. All good news on the Radical Reverend Show today. And welcome back. You're listening to The Radical Reverend Show. I'm your host, Sherry DeNovo. And we're focusing on some solutions in this next hour, some good news for change uh, at this time of year about housing. Uh, you just heard from Curtis Jordan, uh, trustee in Stormont Dundas-Glengarry, where they managed to house 100 people in just a few months. And now we're speaking uh, to somebody Closer to home. Uh, Gord Perks, uh, who is the city councillor for Parkdale High Park. Gord, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Oh, still some technical difficulties here. Yeah, Gord, are you there? Yes, hello. Oh, there you are. Yay, fantastic. Uh, So welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. So we're talking about housing. It's all about housing. And uh, maybe tell the listeners a little bit about your role now with Olivia Chow as mayor.
2: Well, uh, the City of Toronto organizes itself to have a group of committees that take on special roles. Uh, I've been appointed by the mayor as the chair of the Planning and Housing Committee, which is uh, exciting and terrifying because uh, the mayor has also made getting a lot of uh, rental housing and affordable housing her key priority. So I've got a lot to do.
3: There, there was a number I think thrown out there. I can't remember. Was it twenty five thousand new units uh, or thirty five thousand rental 000. housing units?
2: Mm-hmm. All of them to be rent controlled, and uh, a big portion of them to be. Affordable housing, and then a portion of that to be what we call supportive housing for people who have difficulty managing their own household and have a support worker to make sure that they, you know, uh, can manage the cooking and cleaning and getting the rent paid on time.
3: Now, you, as the city, just got um, it seems uh, if we can follow mainstream. Uh, media here a bunch of money from the province uh uh talk about it it, how that's going to help or what what's that going to do what difference will it
2: make so the mayor has uh concluded an agreement with the province of ontario that and and city council endorsed it just last week which uh does a number of things but one of them is it transfers the cost of maintaining and operating the Gardner and Don Valley Expressways to the province of Ontario, which is frankly where they used to be. And that takes a whole lot of money off of our capital budget. That money we're looking at transferring to using uh, as a part of a fund so that the city can be the, the housing developer on a number of properties that the city owns.
3: So, you've got the task of coming up with 35,000 new units. What are, what are you gonna do, Gord?
2: <laughs> well, the, the key thing to it is, uh, we've gone through and, and identified 90 properties that the city owns across the, the whole area. Uh, you know, parking lots, uh, municipal buildings that we don't need for offices anymore, things like that. In some cases, properties that we bought and we are going to work either to build them directly as city-owned housing through Toronto Community Housing or to work work with not-for-profit and co-op housing providers to get that housing built as well. Uh, It means that we're going to have to do all the design, uh, get all the approvals, find the funding from the provincial and federal governments, and then work with our partners to construct it and move people in, and we're going to have to do that quickly. Uh, We've started with five properties that uh, we had federal funding for. One of them, Sherry, is a property right here in our own neighborhood at Brock and Queen that used to be a liquor store. And uh, we're going to take those five, use them as pilots, and build the sort of muscles, if you will, on being the developer ourselves instead of relying on the private market, which hasn't been successful in delivering rental and affordable housing.
3: Uh, absolutely. And you mentioned the federal government, Gord. Um, uh, and it, we are all very aware of the situation with new immigrants, especially refugees, um, I remember doing some media down on Richmond Street when they were living outside of a shelter. Uh, has the federal government come to the table? What's happening there?
2: So the, the relationships between the three levels of government, uh, Hazel McCallion put it best. The federal government has all the money, the provincial government has all the power, and the municipal government has all the problems. Uh, So we're charged with the responsibility for providing housing, but we don't have the right way to pay for that housing. We don't have access to things like the sales tax or the income tax that are the really big revenue generators. We have to rely pretty much exclusively on property tax. And no one ever imagined that as a way to pay for housing. So we're trying to get the federal and provincial governments to commit significant amounts of money. I'm talking tens of billions over the next decade or two so that we can fund the creation of this housing. Now, in the long term, uh, that's a much better and much more cost-efficient way of doing it than trying to rely on subsidies to private developers, because we never get a good enough deal out of those guys. So, you know, the federal government, pretty much from the mid-30s until the mid-1990s, did put a lot of money into what we call social housing uh, a great example of this is uh the st lawrence neighborhood in toronto where we built a mix of co-op and, and affordable housing and uh, pretty much a generation ago the federal and provincial governments stopped doing that so mayor chow's taken on the task of getting those governments back in that game
3: that That is so important. I remember when I was first elected in uh, 2006, we had David Crombie, the, you know, the conservative mayor, at a, at a time when conservatives were municipal, provincial, and federal, and talking about that, um, you know, St. Lawrence market redevelopment. And he, he said, uh, one of the interesting things he said, Gord, that you'll find uh, <laughs> apropos was that it all started with co-ops all started with, you know, getting co-ops money. Um, and uh, so, I mean, there's there's that for sure. Um, we just uh, saw, or at least some of us did, a, a video by... Uh, the person who, if you can trust the polls, may be our next Prime Minister, um, Poliev, talking about housing. And one of the things he says in that video is that if we just drop the taxes, we will get more housing. Um, Comments on that approach.
2: So there's a lot of uh, verbal trickery that goes on in terms of uh, housing policy. Um, Poliev and others try to make the case that we have too many regulations and too many taxes and that's not why and that's why housing isn't getting built that's a that's just frankly nonsense the city of toronto is actually the leader in building housing in all of north america and we have been for a decade or two uh we're building like at a furious pace you just go anywhere around the city you see cranes in the sky. But the problem is we're building the wrong stuff. Uh, if you're a private developer and you buy a plot of land and you go and build a whole bunch of units on it, condo units say, you're going to need to make your money back. And you're also going to need a profit and pay off the loans that you took from the bank. What the recent, recent evidence shows is the kind of rents and mortgages you're going to have to charge on those units is gonna be more than what a family with a household income of $100,000 a year can pay for. And that means we're only building housing for like the wealthiest 20% of Canadians or for investors. And that means that the the rest of us who are, you know, lower income or even middle income are not getting housing built. And if you look around the world, you'll see that the only way to build housing for lower and middle income uh, families in the, in the current global housing market is to have the government involved as a housing builder. You look at Vienna or Stockholm or Berlin or Glasgow or Paris or pretty much any European city with more than a million or two million people, and a lot of, and in some cases most of the housing, is being built with social ownership, government housing, co-ops, and not-for-profit. You can eliminate all of the taxes, have charge absolutely no taxes, and you still don't get the private market building housing for most of us.
3: Uh, speaking to Gord Perks, uh, city councilor here for Parkdale High Park and, uh, and charged with finding, um, uh, getting some, some housing going in the city, along with, of course, all of our responsibility to do the same. Um, and Gord, uh, you mentioned housing as an investment rather than as a place to live. We've certainly seen that. I think I saw one figure of some 65,000 empty units, mainly condo units in the city, um, and and in a certain sense, uh, even with the recent dip in real estate values, uh, we've you know, real estate in the city. If you've invested in it, you've done probably pretty well over the long haul, simply as an investment. Um, how does that cut into housing as an as a human
2: necessity? So. People are always shocked to learn this, but about three quarters of all the wealth on the planet is one way or another tied up in real estate, uh, which creates a whole lot of problems. It means we're not investing in uh, creating jobs. No, we're not investing in manufacturing. We're just creating these investment vehicles for people with a lot of wealth to make money off the rest of us who are paying higher and higher and higher rents or mortgages. That wasn't always the case until a generation or two ago. You would sort of figure that the the kind of general rule was you worked uh, for three or four weeks a month to uh, pay for your necessities and then one week a month to pay for your rent. Now, uh, pretty much people are, are paying a third or in some cases a half of all of their income for rent. So our economy is tremendously distorted and housing has become just an investment vehicle for people who already own a lot of wealth. And that's why we're seeing increasingly in the successful cities in the world, governments are getting into the, the business of building housing for the rest of us. So that the money you pay in rent stays in the housing system. It doesn't disappear as a return on investment for wealthy people. And that means part of your rent pays for building the next unit for the next family who, you know, they might be a nurse or they they might be a, a tradesperson, or they might work in the local supermarket where you shop. And if we can get a housing system that provides housing for them, we get a healthier economy and we also get a better mix of incomes within the city of toronto which means that the essential jobs we need to have done have people who can afford to live in the city to do them it's just better all around and that's what mayor chow has sort of established as the vision of toronto to stop treating real estate as an investment vehicle and instead treat real estate as a human right as a thing that everybody who lives and works and plays in the city of Toronto has access to.
3: Uh, speaking to Gord Perk city councilor for Parkdale High Park, Gord, we've just got a couple of minutes left. Um, uh, as you were speaking about the history of the city, I'm, I'm kind of the living <laughs> embodiment of that in some ways um, and grew up here. And I grew up in a city where on one salary you could own a home and, uh, and uh, many middle class families actually had access to cottages too, usually owned by a family, you know, a couple of families, not just one. Uh, and, uh, and now you can't even do that with two salary so that's in one generation that's a significant shift just quickly with the last minute that we've got left um how can we help how can uh, folk out here uh who aren't part of the city bureaucracy or part of the city political structure uh how can we how can we help make this happen
2: well the the simple fact of the matter sherry is and i'm just going to be political here the federal liberal party if they don't win seats in Toronto and Montreal, the two places with the worst housing crisis right now, they don't get reelected. So you have to let your member of parliament know, uh, and any candidate who in an upcoming federal election wants your vote, that the federal government has to invest in social housing. There's no other path for a successful city.
3: Thank you so much, Councillor Perks, um, and here's hoping we get every one of those 35,000 units uh, on the market. People need them. Thanks so much. We're going to take one minute of a break. And by the way, the last break you heard uh, Jean-Baptiste, uh, that's, that was the music that you heard. And we're coming back with an architect who's, uh, whose real aim is to build modular and cheap housing. Stay tuned. And we are back uh, to the Radical Reverend Show. And just a note to all of you, first of all, thanks for contributing to the station. This is listener-supported, and we're almost at our goal of $100,000. We... Came, I think we were at 91 last time I checked so keep those donations coming and just go to the the station and and hit donate It can't be easier um, we're all about good news here today on the radical Reverend show and it's about housing who knew there was good news in housing um, you just heard from councilor perks about what the city's planning on doing before that uh, trustee Jordan on how they eliminated housing in one small part uh, homelessness rather um, in one small part of our province and now uh, someone who Whose, whose job it is is to provide housing, uh, uh, architect Noam Hassan. Noam, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show.
1: Hi, Sherry. Thanks for having me on.
3: Of course. Uh, we met at a panel discussion about something uh, else uh, about the uh, municipal elections, and you came up and talked about how uh, the cost for for example, laneway housing, which is really your specialty or backyard housing is just been exorbitant um, in terms of what's possible um, talk talk to us a little bit about that because what you proposed I thought was was really exciting and uh, and and the news needs to get out there talk about that
1: yes yeah, so before before I sort of get into the affordability of of like actually building a garden suite or, or a laneway house um, I, you know I think you know, uh, you know, as a general theme of your, your show today, there's obviously a, an affordability crisis in Toronto uh, or in Canada, I would say. Um, and, you know, that's obviously driven by, you know, high, you know, high immigration levels, uh, not enough development or, or uh, uh, growth of, of properties uh, and expansion. And I think that, you know, it's really pushing this level of like unaffordability in the city and not just purchase properties, but also to rent. And, and the city of Toronto I, I guess have been quite innovative in trying to add density over the last few years. So in 2019 um, they they changed or they added a bylaw that allowed anyone with a laneway to to add a laneway house you know as a right without having to go through the committee of adjustment and all that red tape. And then again in 2022 um, they uh, they you know introduced a new a new bylaw that allowed people to build these like, garden suites or granny flats. Uh, in in On their own properties, also removing a lot of that red tape that previously uh you would have probably had to go to committee of adjustment for it would have cost a lot of money taken a lot of time um so they, you know they 've really been pushing uh, i guess empowering homeowners and property owners to to increase density on their own properties and even more recently uh, you know earlier this year uh, there was a new multiplex um, bylaw that came in allowing people to Convert their single family homes into multiple units, um, you know, as part of this initiative. So, you know, this was um, really great. Uh, but one of the challenges that I found when kind of sort of researching the market, when discussing with different builders about the cost of building a laneway suite or, or a garden suite, um, is that really they are still very cost prohibitive. I mean, now that we're starting to see some units that are, you know, really only starting at a, you know, about $190,000, 100, almost $200,000, and I've seen, you know, garden suites being quoted at almost 500, dollars $600,000, which for most people is very cost prohibitive, I would say. Um, so, we looked at how can we bring the cost down, and how can we do this in a way that um, is sustainable and, and allow... Sort of homeowners to be able to build these, you know, without breaking the bank. So we looked at two strategies. One was kind of rethinking a little bit how to actually build, uh, build these garden suites, and we looked at a a technology or building technology that's done primarily for furniture um, and has been utilized in the UK and in Belgium and other parts of Europe, where instead of using traditional two by four lumber, we are actually using CNC wood. Um, we create these blocks, and the name of the company is Block, B-L-O-K-K. Uh, and we, we create a structure out of CNC cut plywood, and that is also the interior finish. So we also eliminate uh, drywall, paint, we have this really nice wooden interior finish. Uh, it's a lot more sustainable, we're using one material, and we're able to bring the cost down quite a bit that way. Uh, the second way we're able to kind of introduce these, um, these garden suites in a, in a cheaper uh, manner is we offer also, we also offer them as flat pack. So we could, you know, you could potentially order, every, you know, all the materials, the toilet, the kitchen, um, the the structural materials, the CNC uh, plywood for the structure, the cladding. Order it all to your house, and then you can hire your own builder to build it, um, or you can do it yourself, sort of thing. Obviously, you still need the permits, and you still need. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't recommend someone who doesn't know how to. Um, you know, the wire a lighting fixture or the plumbing, but we would provide sort of like an IKEA um, guideline uh, of how to build it. So that's one component. We also do everything from beginning to end, and we have uh, great building partners. Juniper Construction is one of them, um, who will help you know, who will help us see this through from beginning to end. So if people don't want to do it themselves, we kind of take that all on ourselves, and we we include that as like a full turnkey solution. And I guess the other component of this as well is we've also partnered with a finance company who will help people, um, you know, finance these. So, you know, in theory, the the goal is that no one, you don't really have to put any money up front. Um, You know, for at least the first six months, they'll help finance these uh, construction projects, and then after the year or whatever, you could either refinance or take a HELOC to pay off that. But essentially, it allows people that are not necessarily don't have the cash flow to build these blocks um, and then rent it out. Uh, you know, they could almost rent it out, uh, you know, from day one as soon as it's built, cover the cost of the loan. Um, and we think that's a way to help, you know, a lot of people get these uh, structures built on, on their properties.
3: Speaking uh, to Noam Hassan here, architect in Toronto, who's a, uh, who's, as you've just heard, uh, talking about how you can turn, uh, you know, a useless garage, uh, I certainly have one, and there are many in Toronto, um, and or a piece of your backyard into housing. Um, and I no when we were speaking, I was saying that there's so many seniors now who, you know, they're kind of finding themselves alone in, in a big old house. Uh, they don't have a lot of disposable income, they do have some equity, but um, they'd love to be able to offer, you know, for Affordable rental somewhere, uh, and um, and this might be a way of doing it. So, all in, what are we talking here um, in terms of cost to say uh, do a ver- to do a modest uh, house that could be uh, rented uh, instead of a garage? What are we looking yeah, at? Yeah. So,
1: our base our base model um, that we're trying, we're still kind of finalizing. We're launching actually officially in January. Uh, but the base cost will be in and around the range of about eighty-nine thousand uh, dollars. That's that's our goal for our basic model, uh, and that's sort of like a studio apartment, three hundred and thirty square feet, give or take. Um, and then sort of, well, you know, we're we're going to be introducing slightly larger models uh, over the next few months. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of where we're at at the moment.
3: I mean, that's. Re- Unbelievable, because the quotes that i've seen out there are like three hundred and fifty thousand and up to do something like that, so um, I mean that makes it affordable for just about anybody who has who owns a home to be able to to uh, offer up as rental. Um, I didn't ask Gord about this when he was on just before. um, But the city did have at one point, uh, a kind of loan that turned into a grant program that they've discontinued. But if the price is around that, um, it's almost redundant, because as you say, financing shouldn't be that much of a problem. Um, So uh, so you're launching officially in January. What's that going to look like?
1: So we're actually launching at the interior design show um, in Toronto on January 18th. Uh, we built a, a prototype um, of our block unit. Um, and we, we we were basically awarded, we're one of six architecture design firms that were awarded a, I guess, featured spot in the neighborhood of the future. So there's lots of different architects and designers who are presenting their concepts of the future. And we I really believe that sort of modularity in, in housing is the future or should be the future Uh, in a funny way like you know when when you when you build a house uh, or when you when you when you add an extension or whatever it's almost always custom so if we can kind of change the the paradigm in the sense and and custom obviously is a lot more expensive usually so by by sort of making things modular um, and almost like kind of like Ikea like in in that repetitiveness uh, we can definitely bring down the costs and I, I think sort of modularity should be the, the default. And if you want to go custom, then that's where you start paying a premium. And that's why we're trying to kind of change the conversation around housing and, um, and, and how housing uh, is introduced. And I believe, I think I read recently, the city of Toronto, or actually, sorry, it might've been even an auto. I can't remember where I saw this, but uh, they're looking to reintroduce sort of pre-designs of homes uh, in development. So like from a, from a governmental level, um and what that what that aims to do is bring down the cost because obviously all the all the uh you know quantities of materials and everything is sort of laid out and you you know when you order on bulk and you order in uh, in large quantities you're able to bring those costs down so i think the general conversation should move into uh, into that
3: direction, yes, I think that was federal. I think i, I, I if I recall she's been on the show too, Christian Freeland um back before she was Deputy Prime Minister. but she uh, talking about the, the 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 housing boom that uh, followed the second World war of uh, sort of yeah, exactly, housing exactly. yeah um, so uh, so, but but that's it, that's in a sense kind of a version of what you're talking about too. so um, so just if folk are interested in following us up um even before January eighteenth, but you heard it, um, trip on out to the interior design show january 18th and and check it out um because I, honestly i think um there's a lot of unused property in our downtown core that could be used very efficiently that way uh, so how do they get in touch with you know
1: yeah so they can visit our website at block.ca so it's blokk.ca um and uh and reach out and we'll and someone will respond uh within 24 hours
3: Wonderful! Thanks so much for being on the Radical Reverend show, and uh, and hopefully we'll start seeing some examples of this in and around. Is is, is anything in the works right now?
1: Uh, yeah, we we're talking with one client at the moment. We we someone reached out to us just to sort of build a standard um, garden suite, and we introduced this concept to them, and they loved it. So we are still working through it, but uh, uh, we haven't officially launched yet. So we're we you know we're not. We're not putting this out there yet, um, but uh, we look forward to to launching it on January eighteenth and and speaking to lots of potential customers uh, at the show. And then obviously, um, you know, anyone can reach out to us through our website. We're we'll happy to chat.
3: Yeah, looking forward to seeing it. Take care. Okay, thanks so much. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for the show today. I want to thank uh, Ryan just on the other side of the glass. and, uh, And do stay tuned and do let us know what you think of the Radical Reverend Show back next week.
1: Stower, station manager for CIUTFM 89.5. Some great news to pass along. We now sit at 91% of our goal of $100,000 for the Sound of Your City fundraising campaign. If you have not yet made your tax-deductible financial contribution to show your support for this stand.
2: This show is brought to you by CIUT Studios and made possible thanks to our friends at Metal Supermarkets. Metal Supermarkets is here to provide the solutions you need. Visit them at metalsupermarkets.com.